Hey, everyone. Welcome to the start. For returning listeners, thanks for coming back. For new listeners, thanks for joining. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day or night to listen, to come hang out with me for an hour and listen uh, to my chat with you know a guest each week. It's been it's it's been about five months since the last time I spoke to everyone, and I've missed you guys. I've missed you guys a lot. I've missed podcasting a lot. Um, it's been a pretty crazy time, and I'll mention that in a bit. But I am glad to be back. I can tell you right now that this season is going to be a pretty freaking awesome season. Our lineup is stacked. It's about as stacked as Kentucky's basketball team. And if you don't get the reference, they're incredibly good. The only undefeated team this season. Granted, when you listen to this, the season will be over. But it's it's a pretty dope lineup. Um, we've got some fantastic guests, some here local in New York that we did on site and some remotely. But I hope you guys enjoy them as much as I did recording them. Okay, so now now we can talk about the stuff I've been doing. So for the past five months, probably a little bit shorter, I've been doing a lot of baking, um, specifically cookies. I don't really bake anything else, mainly because cookies are my favorite thing. But it started out as like, okay, how can I create some pretty awesome cookies? And then, you know, I made some and I'd, I'd give them to my girlfriend, I'd give them to my roommates and they're like, oh, these are good, you know, but they sort of have to tell me that they're good. So, you know, I baked a little bit more and then they're like, oh, these are even better. And they kept saying that. And, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure if they were honest or not. And I, I personally really enjoy baking. Um, it's peaceful. It's refreshing. It sort of re-energizes me. But at the end of the day, it's just you get a good, damn good cookie out of it. And it's a really – tastes delicious. So that's the best part. But um, so I've sort of I've, – I've come up with this thing called beta tastings. So the premise behind a beta tasting is that um, I get a bunch of people together. Um, I may know them. I may not. And we come together on a particular day and I bake anywhere between 60 to 100 different different cookies. So, you know, the first one that we did, I baked uh, chocolate chip, white chocolate chip macadamia, uh, birthday cake. I baked chocolate chocolate and then I baked one other kind and I don't know why I'm totally blanking on it, but I baked another kind. And we got all those people together and basically asked them to eat these cookies and tell me what they thought. And it turned out really, really, really well. And I don't know if they were lying to me or that they really, really like the cookies, but it's something that I want to keep doing uh, because I'm hoping that it takes up more time. Uh, not time that takes away from the podcast, but more time for me to enjoy baking and doing something that I really, really like and hopefully bring in that something that I like, which is cookies to other people. Maybe you guys, um, maybe just some random people in New York City. I'm not really sure yet, but so that's what I've been really focusing on aside from doing some freelance work, which I'm sure you, you'll hear about throughout the season. But if you're – the one thing I can say is that we had the first beta tasting. It was like in February, uh, early March, and it was fantastic. Went really, really well, sold out, um, and we had really good feedback from everybody. Um, so I'm looking to do another one in the summer. If you're in the city or if you just want to be in the know of what's going on with the beta tastings or the larger entity, which I'm trying to create called Spilt Milk. Um, you should sign up to this email list. Um, it'll be in the show notes, or if you want to get there right now, it's pbj.im slash spilt milk sign up. Um, again, sign up there and you will be the first to hear about any news that happens with these cookies or spilt milk, the you know, company I may end up making, or just another beta tasting that might happen this summer. Um, so that's what I've been spending a lot of time on and, and what I've been focusing on. So if you guys are interested, please sign up. Other than that, 
I will make a request, and I'm, I think you guys are familiar with this request. Please, if you're not already a subscriber, please subscribe now to the podcast. Uh, there's a little podcast icon at the bottom of the website. You can do it there. You can search for The Start on iTunes, and you can subscribe there. If you are already a subscriber, please rate the podcast. Um, and if you've got a little bit of extra time and you want to give a little bit of extra love my way, our way, rate a review. Tell us what you think. Um, that kind of stuff goes a long way with iTunes, and it definitely – makes me feel a little warm and fuzzy inside. So if you can do that, I'd appreciate it. All right, so enough of that. This week, we're talking with Laura Hogan. Laura is a performance engineer manager at Etsy. She does some pretty dope stuff there. Honestly, Etsy, spoiler alert, I talked with a few people at Etsy this season. Um, all pretty great people, but they're doing some awesome stuff. Their office is incredible. They've got like this cool yarn thing over all the, the, the air ducts and vents that run through the office, which is actually at Etsy an Etsy seller. I think they're, it's called Nitta Please, which is a fantastic name and a great pun. But you know, it's a great company with some great people. And, and I was lucky enough to speak with Laura about her career, what she does at Etsy, a little bit about herself and her background. And one thing is definitely certain. And that thing is, you know, just this premise of commitment and, and it's unrelenting within her. You know, we talked about some choices that she made in her life and decisions and how she committed to those choices. Some might have been right. Some might have been wrong. But one thing remained the same in that she gave it her all. She gave 100% and she went 100 miles an hour in one direction. She did not waver. Um, and if it happened to be you know, a, a, a decision that she needed to change, she changed that decision quickly and she didn't look back. You know, it, it, She doesn't seem like someone who regrets much, um, especially when it comes to her career. Um, she seems like someone who is – decisive, someone who's committed, someone who is respectful, someone who honors her craft to the level of, I don't know, just like the greatest craftsman you can think of. I think of, you know, Jiro from Jiro Dreams of Sushi and just how how perfectionist he was with what he does. And it wasn't so much that he seeked to be perfect, but that he seeked to, uh, he seeked commitment. And I, I, I see the same thing in Lara and it's just, it was an honor to speak with her. Um, we had a fantastic conversation. We, even though we live in the same neighborhood, we did not do it live, unfortunately, but I ran down to her apartment thereafter, um, and gave her some of these cookies that I actually talked about. So I guess, you know, without further ado, here's this conversation with Laura Hogan from Etsy. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening. This is the start. fantastic how are you i'm good um i do think it's pretty cool that we live so close and we didn't know it till now <laughs> yes um and we talked about this a little bit pre-recording but it stinks that you couldn't come over here only because my apartment smells like brownies and cookies i am so upset that we did not figure this out sooner <laughs> yeah it's all good um what i can probably do is swing by this weekend and uh give you some because more people to eat my cookies is perfectly fine with me this is already the best podcast i've ever done <laughs> how many how many podcasts have you been on oh, so i know yeah i know you're doing and when people hear this it'll probably be past uh when you do this but you're doing something with event apart coming up right yep okay um and that is 
not a podcast, but it is going to be streamed online. Yeah, it's a it's going to be a Google Hangout. Um, oh, which, okay. Which is fascinating to me. I mean, the fact that we can do this now with technology is pretty insane. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm really, really excited about it. We did a little bit of a test run, and it seemed to go pretty well. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And what uh, what other podcasts have you been on? Uh, I've been on Hansel Minutes, Scott Hanselman's podcast. Uh, I just did one called How to Hold a Pencil, which is... With Ruben. With Ruben, yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah, I know Ruben. Yeah, I've done a bunch. They've, they, these are so much fun. Oh, Shop Talk Show, another one of my favorites. Oh, you were on Shop Talk? I was, yeah. Back when in was the this? day, maybe a year and a half ago, a while okay. ago. I have uh, I listen to Shop Talk, not all the time. In my morning commute, I either read fiction or I listen to like... I do, do you know who Mark Maron is? Yeah. He has a podcast. So I listen to his just because it's like, it's uh, outside of my typical realm. Um, so it's a nice little break leading into work and mm-hmm. web development stuff. Although I do lo- like, I read your book, uh, Designing for Performance. Is that, is that the correct title? That's right. Yep. Yes. I'm looking at it right here and I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. Thanks. That book was fantastic. Yes. Um, it was, it was a refreshing break from a typical tech book. That is very nice of you to say. That is like the best kind of compliment. <laughs> it was, it was great. It was, you know, it's concise. It's to the point and it's filled with like nothing. Like I literally almost handed the book to my boss because she's a designer <laughs> to be like, read this. Not that she doesn't know what she's doing, but it's like, read this because I, I even I learned some pretty cool stuff yeah, in this book. That, that it is was, awesome to hear. I feel like performance books, the joke is that like all the performance books out there are super succinct, except for Ilya Gregorix. That's the one that's like super long. But most yeah. of them are like really nice and fast reads. Yeah, they should. I mean, I uh, in college, I was a journalism major for like two years. And the primary, the main focus, um, I, I felt like I was at Catholic school only because <laughs> it felt like they would like slap your wrist with rulers if you like you, you did stuff incorrectly, mm-hmm. but it was be succinct. Brevity is your best friend. Yeah. One, one review of my book said that I'm, I'm not faffing about, which I think is a good description of my writing style. <laughs> Can you make that your bio on things? Yeah. I don't faff about. Yeah. It's a good like general philosophy. I, I think, you know, like just don't faff about. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so you're currently at Etsy, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm the senior engineering manager of performance at Etsy. Okay. Now, what does that mean in regards to Etsy? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I imagine that you touch everything because performance is important everywhere. Totally. So the cool thing about my job is I get to both make improvements to the site myself. But mm-hmm. the more important part of my job is that I can work across teams, whether it's an infrastructure team or a product team. Anybody who's touching the site, they want to make their thing fast. So my team of developers comes in and says, hey, here's some improvements we saw you can make. Hey, here's how to use some cool tools. Uh, hey, you just made a huge win. We're going to celebrate you uh, and give you lots of baked goods. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I need to ask one question, yeah. playing devil's advocate. It sounds like you have a dedicated team to help speed up performance. Is that true? That's true. So to what extent is performance considered at the kickoff of a project that maybe you guys haven't been brought in on? So let's say Etsy's designing um, a new site or part of the site, whatever, and there's a team of developers and designers, Mm -hmm. and then you guys get brought in. So is it something to where they just sort of forego performance because you guys are going to polish it up? Or do you guys come (laughs) in afterwards and say, hey, you can probably make this a little faster here. It's already fast, but you can make it a little faster. Totally. So that's a great that's a great question. Uh, I wholeheartedly believe that sh- there should not be any performance cops or performance janitors. The yep. job of a performance team is not to come and clean up after other people. And so we very intentionally don't do that. The okay. stuff where we touch the site is like an experiment. So we'll run something that touches every page. You know, 
Should we be prefetching images? Should we be inlining CSS above the fold? Okay. Um, the stuff that we work on with product teams is very intentionally helping them do the performance work. <laughs> so instead okay. of us coming in afterwards and cleaning it up, what we're trying to do is empower them to understand how how their stuff really affects the overall user experience, performance gotcha. included. Yeah. So it sounds like a mix of consulting in a way, mm-hmm. and then also a mix of like research and development, i.e., mm-hmm. hey, we can experiment on these, like we can A-B test here. Oh, this is faster then we can figure out a way to implement this site-wide. Yeah, absolutely. So it makes my week looks like uh, meeting with teams at the outset of a project. I just had one Mm -hmm. this week with a designer um, who wants to start using SVG images for a couple of pieces of line art. And so we were talking about how to optimize those. Yeah, Uh, SVG for the win. Super cool. I had a couple of meetings that were midway to the end of the project, and we were able to look at things on actual development environments and provide feedback. Um, But then the rest of the week was spent with uh, my team looking at native apps because there's like no great like performance monitoring or automated tests or anything for performance in apps right now. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, Etsy's really excited about this stuff, we want to make sure that we can build tools and build automation, build dashboards for how our apps are performing. That way, when a product team, say, makes a change to a feature, or adds something new to an app, they can automatically know how to measure that thing. Gotcha. Yeah. That's really cool. So that sounds, it sounds like there's some relatively large amount of technical chops that needs to go into this kind of role. Is that fair? Absolutely fair. Yeah. Okay, so now I want to backtrack. And where did this all begin? <laughs> um, this is, I was trying to think before this podcast about this journey. And I really wish that there was like a very clear uh, direction and path that I had taken, but it is so all over the map and accidental. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'll start from, the, from, from college. So I, I went to a school in DC, American University. Yep. And I thought I was going to be an ambassador <laughs> uh, when I grew up. Mostly because I, I thought it'd be cool to help people or whatever. I don't know. Is that um, why you went to American? That's like, why I went to American. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Because it's because it's in DC. Yeah, and, and they okay. have a really good international studies program. Okay. Is that what you studied? That was what. Well, that was what I went in thinking I was going to study. That was what I signed up for. Um, okay. I got one semester in, and mm-hmm. I took a, a world politics course, and I realized that the world is really mean. <laughs> And I just didn't want anything to do with it. So That's fair. Um, my parents, thankfully, so my mother is a Methodist minister and my father okay. is a middle school math teacher. Oh, wow. Okay. And they were very understanding. And they said, what we want you to do is come out of school with a piece of paper. We don't care what it's in. Just come out. Just just graduate. Like, get something. So I, <laughs> I looked at the course requirements for various different kinds of degrees and realized that philosophy had the fewest number of credits needed to graduate. So it gave I me a lot of flexibility thing. yeah, to take electives. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I ended up being a philosophy major. Um, okay. So halfway through my, my, uh, my first couple of years, you know, this is like the classic story of like girl meets boy, boy does photography, girl decides to impress him, she will also do photography. <laughs> Okay. Um, so I ended up taking a bunch of like visual media courses. Um, I ended up uh, taking a Photoshop course, the professor of which hired me to do an internship. So he worked at this HTML newsletter company. That's awesome. Yeah. So okay. I was like, it was the kind of thing that came very naturally to me. I was, I had been working on computers for a while. Was that, so hold on. Yeah. Why were you working on computers for a while? This is like the embarrassing part of the story. So, okay. Uh, so growing up, we, we were very privileged. We had, a, we had a computer. My father originally worked um, as a banker, and so we had a computer because he worked on, a, on some programs for the bank that he was working in Okay. before he became a, a teacher when I was six years old. Okay. So, you know, my sister, I have a younger sister, and she and I would play lots of, lots of games on this computer. 
Uh, in like high school-ish age, I guess, there was this website called Neopets. I don't know if you're familiar with this at all. I am. What year did you graduate high school? I graduated in 2003. Okay. That was the year that I went into high school. Yeah. So, you know, there's some overlap with some of the the cultural trends and stuff. Totally, yeah. So my sister was the right age group. She was three years younger than I was um, for Neopets. I was too old to be playing with it. But they have like a really basic HTML and CSS like tutorial because you could build Mm -hmm. guilds for your pets. And uh, I ended up reading this tutorial and building a Lord of the Rings guild. Um, if it's not clear by now, I was a tremendous nerd. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so did you read all the Lord of the Ring books back no, then? Because there was no, no movies just then. Movies. <laughs> oh, wait. Was there Lord of the Ring movies in 2003? By that time, yeah. There was at least one. Okay. Okay. Um, I know that there was Harry Potter movies. Yes. <laughs> I just didn't remember if Lord of the Rings had caught on yet. <laughs> so, right. So, um, right. So HTML and CSS, basic stuff. Uh, actually, I think it was just HTML back in the day. It was just like basic sta- tables. Okay. CSS yep. wasn't really a thing yet. Well, yeah, yeah in 2003, yeah. well, like in the early 2000s, that was sort of where it was like this this period where front-end web development didn't really advance much, right? Right, totally. I, I wasn't doing it. I was in high school. I was like, I played football. My girlfriend set up my MySpace page. Yep. Like I was not technical at all. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't in it. But everything that I've read about the the recent past of front-end development makes it sound like in the early days, there was somewhat development in there. Everyone sort of stuck with tables. You sort of hack shit out. Mm-hmm. And then there was a big empty block of people just sort of meandering about, yeah. not really doing much, twiddling their thumbs. And then probably it sounds like 2006, 2007 – Stuff started going – and I, my dates could be way off. Stuff started moving forward, and yeah. that's when we started getting, like, better specs and that kind of stuff, right? Totally, yeah. So around that time was when I graduated college um, and when CSS really started to become a thing. Also, I read Zeldman's, you know, great masterpiece, and that really influenced my yeah. philosophy behind it. So while I was in school, I had been doing – I had been making, like, little websites, right? Like, little mm-hmm. HTML websites. Okay. I did a couple of little – Marquee tags and everything? Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> little things. I, I remember I worked with some some folks who, like, wanted little websites – um, I was the GM of a radio station. We needed a website. Was this in uh, college or? Yeah, in college, okay, right. Okay. So this is all throughout college. Um, so little things. So I ended up getting this internship, uh, working, doing like design. I was not great, but at least I could like kind of code. I knew Photoshop, so I knew how to like slice images um, for HTML newsletters. I ended up going and studying abroad in Prague. I studied street cool. documentary photography. Yeah, super cool. Because again, the visual media. I was yeah, at this point yeah, double yeah. major in visual media and philosophy. Okay. Um, and when I came back, uh, I had like a semester left before I was going to graduate, or a year left before I was going to graduate. And I knew I didn't want to interview many places. I was just kind of like, I don't know. I wanted to really start up a photography business. So I wanted to get like a day job to give me health insurance and yep. have somebody pay me. So I emailed my old professor, the one who had gotten me the internship, and I said, hey, I really enjoyed working for this company. Do you guys have any openings? They said, yeah, we've got a, a project manager position open. Come and interview for it. I ended up getting it, and that was my first job out of college, was working as this project manager for a little HTML newsletter company. Does this place still exist? It does. It's called Smart Brief. Yep, they're still in D.C., and they, they do good things. They're actually – it's an awesome team of people. What do they do now? Still oh, HTML still, newsletters. Okay, yep. okay. Yeah, no, yeah. that's cool. That works. Super Makes cool. Makes money. Yeah. So um, so a couple of things started happening. Uh, I was running my own photography business doing weddings, okay. which required, again, a website. Yep. Um, I, I had, like, all of a sudden a sandbox, right? Like, I, it wasn't just that I had, like, a static HTML page. I really had to do really cool things. Because um, photography websites back then were terrible. It was, like, autoplay music yeah. and flash. And it was just the worst. Um, <laughs> fade in so, and fade out. And, totally. Yeah, 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 it was really yeah. cheesy. 
So I did a lot of that stuff. I also, I wrote uh, websites to like host my client files on, to like have contracts, you know, all those sorts of things. And you built all of that yourself or was there, was there technology at the time that you could leverage or was this all from scratch? (laughs) This is like me, notepad and like an FTP client. Nice. Yeah. Back in the day. Um, so, right. So I was working for this company. I ended up, you know, upping my front-end developer chops. I got uh, a couple of other jobs as a front-end developer and um, worked real hard on, on, you know, trying to, like, push the way that I was doing things in my sandbox time and be able to apply that to my job later. Yep. I then started a LGBT wedding resource called So You're Engaged with okay. my friend Kelly. Nice. And this was based in WordPress. So I started to figure out a little bit more back-end development. Um, Is it still around as well? It is not still around. So we ended up closing that, I guess, a few years ago. Okay. Uh, But it was hugely successful. It's one of those things back in the day before gay marriage was legal anywhere, we started this. um, Because we realized that there was no resource for couples who were looking to get married and looking to have vendors that they knew would be be super cool about it. You know, Um, my friend Kelly was getting married to her wife, and she had some horrific experiences with vendors. So we realized that this resource was needed. Yeah. So, again, a good sandbox to play with things. Um, I eventually got a user experience manager job uh, at a DNS company. Um, and throughout all this, by the way, all of my jobs were based on networking I'd done in college at this point. Oh, wow, really? So, like, um, the, the second job I had was another professor. Uh, it was the Dreamweaver course that I took in college, you know. Um, so, really, my networking that I had done accidentally, um, just by being a relatively good student and by, like, being nice – uh, got me to where I was. I moved to New England because uh, my partner had a job up there, and uh, and yeah, just kept on doing the front end developer stuff. Eventually, were you um, were, yeah. sorry? Were you um, so you were in DC? Yep. Your first two jobs came from college. Is that mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah. How long first were you three, in, actually? Oh wow! How long were you in DC for? Oh, that's a good question. I was there till maybe 2010. So okay. three years, three ish years um, after college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then a couple of years up in New England. Um, so I briefly worked for a web hosting company. Mm-hmm. But again, these were like the, the these were the recession years. <laughs> uh, while I was at one particular company, I survived five rounds of layoffs before I eventually quit of my own accord. Yeah, and then I got laid off at the web hosting company, which was a blessing uh, in disguise. I got to go work for another company after that. And, How'd um, you? Um, so yeah. I, I've been laid off before, and I'm I'm sort of <laughs> curious. When it happened, what were your feelings? And if we're pry- if I'm prying too much, you can let me know. No, no, no. I love talking about this stuff. Um, so that company I had started to see, I wasn't really impressed with the way that they were running the business. Mm-hmm. And I was already kind of trying to figure out how I was going to either make a difference there or look elsewhere. So it was perfect timing. Um, I was obviously sad and scared because that's a scary thing. Yeah. And I'd only been working there for like three months. So it's not like I had you weren't any invested. savings for that. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Um, so I ended up working with my friend who made marshmallows for two weeks. She, um, okay. she runs, uh, Lydia, sweetlydias.com. You can buy her marshmallows. They're all, they're delicious. Uh, it's like the most organic e-marshmallows you can buy that still are not organic. <laughs> like, you know, real fruits, uh, real fruit juices, that kind of thing. Um, so I worked with her, uh, on that. I helped her with her website back in the day. Yeah. I just like, you know, interviewed around for a couple of weeks until I got a job very quickly. I was very fortunate. Nice. I, I should yeah. probably talk to your friend Lydia. So this is not relevant to what we're talking about, and that's totally fine. Um, <laughs> for those listening, I bake cookies. I'll put links in the show notes to cookies and stuff. So I, I make one. I make a, two different cookies, both with marshmallow. Um, I make a birthday cake cookie, right? So it's 
It's rainbow sprinkles and marshmallow fluff. Those wow. those are pretty good. I've mastered that. The fluff is interesting though because I think the the amount of sugar in the fluff it breaks down after like a day or two. So then it's like it becomes clear on the inside kind of thing. Wow. Um, it's still there. You still taste it, but because it's basically just pure sugar, it doesn't sort of have its fluffiness that it does right out of the oven. The other one that I make is a s'mores cookie. So graham crackers, chocolate chips, and then marshmallows. Mm. That one is harder though. So I've done, and this is where I think your friend comes in in to, to get the uh, advice because she probably knows a lot about marshmallows. <laughs> so I've done it in two different ways. I've Actually, I've done it in multiple ways. I've taken a, a turkey baster injector, like a needle, and mm-hmm. I filled that with fluff, and I filled the cookies with it, hoping that that would keep them creamy inside. Uh, didn't work. Oh. I tried doing the same way that I do with the birthday cake. Didn't work. Because I think what ends up happening is when you have chocolate chips and graham crackers and marshmallow plus dough, something happens with the, the chemical balances there that it just doesn't really – it doesn't really stack up. Yeah. Um, then the third method that I've tried is you take like three or four marshmallows and you basically just encase them in dough. Mm-hmm. So you basically build a cookie around the marshmallow. That way when you bite in, you've got this marshmallowy, soft, gooey texture in the inside. That worked out perfect, except nice. it tasted interesting. Oh, It was okay. weird. To me, it had like – do you know those like shortbread cookies that have like the, the raspberry jelly on top? Yeah, sure. It tasted like that raspberry jelly tang. Like it was like a weird tanginess that almost reminded me of mustard and then also reminded me of this raspberry stuff. It's really weird. I've been working on it for a while and I don't know what the hell is going on. But I don't know if it's the fact that I'm using marshmallows or the brand of marshmallows that I'm buying. Like I feel like there's so many – I mean it's food, right? Like yeah. you have to be – basically have to be a scientist to figure out <laughs> right. how cookies – how any food bakes. That's a random tangent on your friend Lydia. Um, <laughs> but I'll check out our site. I might have to buy some of her marshmallows and throw them in, in my baked yeah. goods. They're a crowd pleaser. So you worked with Lydia for a couple of weeks, then you got a job. Where was this right. job at? This was uh, at a company in New Hampshire that does DNS. Okay. So Wait, I was so this hired... is the second DNS company? No, this is, this is the only, D, only oh, DNS company. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, so I was hired to do development work for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I was there, I became a manager. I oversaw their migration from their old, um, their old, like, outdated company site to like a new WordPress site, okay. uh, which was really fun for me because it wasn't just like creating a theme that could do all the things that they wanted to do, yeah. like all the crazy content things they wanted to do. Um, but also it really had to, I mean, there was everybody from designers to backend developers to um, our sysadmin needed to be on board with how we were going to migrate this thing. And that was like one of the most fun things I've done. Yeah. Um, I imagine so yeah, that was I, pretty big. It was pretty big. I and mean, we had a war room set up and everything, but it went oh, wow. pretty well. Yeah. Wow. Then I ended up like growing a team there, and that was a really great experience. I love being a manager. It's it's the thing I wanted to do next, which is why I was really glad that Etsy let me be a manager. Yeah. How many um, did you – you went from what team to what at this DNS company? That's a good question. So I was part of um, a smaller engineering team, maybe two or three people. Uh, I, I started doing performance there um, okay. on that team. I cleaned their original uh, theme up. It wasn't actually WordPress. It was just like a – it was actually in Perl. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know Pearl, but yeah. like I figured it out, you know. Uh, so I cleaned it up. I had this huge performance win. I cut page load time um, in half, and I wrote a blog post about it. And I started to realize based on that uh, and the reception to that that performance was a really cool niche mm-hmm. that a lot of people were excited to to hear about and um, were kind of just beginning to talk about uh, on Twitter. And I decided to focus on that. 
And you know, it, I was I became the user experience manager, but performance was a huge yeah. was a huge. Do you think piece. so? Do you know what year this was? Um, that's a good question. Maybe 2011. Okay, I'm gonna guess. Do you do yeah. you think the increase in technology? So basically, the the, the premise that broadband internet is now you know nationwide, and it's not mm. it's not this um, top tier, really expensive service. Do you think that's what sort of do you think there was like a, a happy marriage between you and sort of the, the times, if it will? That's a good question. I think that – so in 2007, um, Steve Satters wrote his book about performance. It's like the best book ever about performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and Velocity was begun some time later, um, the conference about performance uh, and operations. And I think that people just started to – like it became part of the larger conversation on the web mm-hmm. at some point. I, I'm not sure if it had anything to do with the infrastructure in general that surrounded us that got me into it. It was more like, here's a huge opportunity. People are starting to listen and think it's interesting. The, the other thing about performance is it can really nerd snipe you. Yeah, you know, right. Like, you see it and you can see something to optimize and you just want to go do it. Um, so there's something very fun and engaging about talking about performance um, that I think worked out really well for me in my career. That's awesome. Yeah, I um, at my job, I ran into – so we have a – we had – and I'm in the I'm I'm a team of one, so some of the work I do is at a slower pace, only because I sort of have to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, but we had like a three four thousand like line CSS style sheet that I was like, this is ridiculous. Cut it down to like five hundred, and wow. some of the performance you see, some of it you don't. And by that I mean like it depends on the page. Like the home page uses different styles than some of the the template pages, um, but it felt good. I, you know. It, it is so satisfying. It is. It, <laughs> performance is interesting because I feel like it's one of those things where it's really small. You can be like, I shaved off two tenths of a second. Don't you see it? And someone's like, right. no, but it doesn't matter. Um, and then the flip side, the the environment or the, the – not it's not a bad environment. Uh, I am the only developer there. So when I'm like, hey, I cut performance time by X, they're like, okay. And <laughs> – you know, it, it, I feel like in some environments that might not be conducive, right? Like that yeah. it's might put a damper on your day. But for me, I'm like, you don't know what I'm talking about. But right. when people convert on our site a lot faster, you'll yeah. get what I'm talking about. And that alone is sort of reward enough. You know, like it's it's definitely something that you don't need feedback from another human about. Uh, right. And you so can you just yeah, exactly. And you can just watch them keep it's like losing weight almost right it's like yeah, totally. oh i dropped five pounds can i do it again yeah i did it again can i do and you just sort of see how much you can like lose right but in this case yeah. speed up yeah totally and like and you're absolutely right the weight loss analogy is a perfect one because like it you have the numbers for yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah exactly you don't yeah. need anybody else yeah so i think that um you know for me at that company it was so satisfying. Um, it was also engineers love data. Like what I've what I've learned when I'm talking to different groups of people, different subsets of people, very important people at a company um, have pride, right? You can touch on pride points. You can touch on getting them to, to feel mm-hmm. user experience. Designers, same. You can want them to feel the user experience and the impact that performance has. But with engineers, that stuff is less important generally. Yeah. yeah. If, if I can show them some numbers, that has a huge impact. That's fair. And yeah. did you... I'm so you talk about this in your book, the idea of like how you sort of bring people on board. Totally. And I'm going to paraphrase some, but like where I'm at, a lot of it is ownership or the idea of ownership, right? And I think you talk about that. 
Um, but then you bring up this point about developers, how, or programmers, how the idea of ownership might not matter as much, but data points do. Mm-hmm. How did you figure that out? I, I would imagine it was, <laughs> um, I would imagine it didn't happen overnight and it probably happened from years of experience and, and interactions and working with teams and clients, et cetera. But like, at what point did you realize that all these sort of things mattered? Yeah, it was definitely trial and error. A lot of it has to do, so in, in most of my jobs, I've tried to put up a monitor on a wall somewhere that okay. shows some stuff. I've started to figure out what stuff works well on that monitor. Sometimes it's numbers, right? Sometimes like I at, at the company where I um, optimized that template, I said, you know, we saved 500 milliseconds of page load time. It just, that was all it said for a while. Um, it would cycle through some other, some other interesting things. Um, and the developers would stop and stare in front of that. That's really cool. But uh, at Etsy, I have a monitor up, and it has a couple of numbers, right? But, like, I also have two slides of videos. One compares how Etsy.com loads um, uh, in the United States to Australia. And one compares uh, how the homepage loads in the United States, one on desktop and one on using a shaped 3G connection. Okay. So having those videos side by side means that people are just waiting for the second one to load. You know, they're, they're seeing the difference. They're feeling the difference. Yeah, okay, um, that's and, really yeah. cool. And that has a very different impact on a different subset of people. So I think it's it's worth talking about all these things because you definitely need all tactics. But for me, it's just been kind of trial and error and seeing what people listen to and pay attention to. What has been the best and worst reaction doing that? I would imagine at different places you've had different reactions, but is there any on either end of the spectrum that really stand out? I don't think that anybody's ever been like, I can't think of a negative reaction to that. I can't think of like a time when people are like, don't do that. Well, okay, sorry. I should rephrase that. So not like, oh my God, this is so bad. Take it down. But more like, oh my gosh, this page loads so slowly. We need to get on board. And oh, then totally, the yeah. flip side is, oh my gosh, your page loads so quickly. What else can we do? Mm-hmm. So uh, so on that last one, I'll touch on the first one in a second, but on the on the form, on the latter, um, we have a also a dashboard that has a performance hero. And I talk about this in the book a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um so every quarter or so, we'll update that performance hero page with someone who we work with who had a huge win. And we find that that really incentivizes people to start thinking about where they can find their own wins and their own products, you know, and make their own changes uh, so that they can be a performance hero too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in terms of the former, what we've seen is that what we do a couple of different things. We're kind of sneaky. Um, the slowest pages are the ones that we'll try to pull up. The slowest pages with the most visitors, I should say. Like, we're not going to pull out a random slow page that take, gets, like, 15 visits a month. Um, and we'll make sure that that dashboard is on the floor where the team is working. So they'll walk by it and see that their page is being shown and how slow it is compared, you know, whatever, whether it's mobile, whether it's global, or whatever it is. Um, and that's it's a nice, really subtle incentive. You know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this in relation to my work. And... I don't know that putting up a dashboard where I'm at would, would be as effective, mm-hmm. um, partially because a lot of people don't come by my area, which is fine. Yeah. But what I'm thinking might be equally as effective, well, probably not equally, it'd be less effective, but a, a, a potentially very easy thing to do is, so, and I'm making this up, let's say you work at, <laughs> a, let's say you work at Zipcar, and I'm making this up, and Zipcar's site loads in 10 seconds. You could get a poster that just says, stand here for 10 seconds. And then at the very bottom, of small text, be like, that's how long your website takes to load. Oof, yeah, that would be brutal. That would be brutal. Right? And I, I yeah. you know, well, you bring up this idea of feeling, which I, I strongly agree with. And I think for an industry that is so intangible, right, like you can't touch a website. I mean, totally. you, you can tap a screen, but you can't touch it. You can't feel it. You, you don't really know what the texture of the background feels like in your hands, all that kind of stuff. 
the only real way to make someone feel is sort of equate it to something that we're used to. So in this case, especially for performance, it sounds like time is that indicator. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sucks. Like 30 <laughs> seconds isn't a lot of time. But when you have to heat something up in the microwave for 30 seconds and you're starving, it's a lifetime. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so we also like to remind um, the developers at Etsy that they are on newer devices with really fast connections. Yep. And that is not the typical use case. No. Right? Like people are... are Global and on mobile devices on worse infrastructure and uh, or in crowded places or wherever, you know, and yep. we need to keep on reminding people that what that as they're developing, that feeling is not what our users are feeling. So what are you guys doing or rather in your experience, what have you found to help emulate that? Yeah. So um, I used to be the engineering manager of mobile web at Etsy. That's what I was hired to do. Gotcha. Um, so this is a this is a tangent here, but what we did for Mobile Web Hack Week, in which we encouraged everybody at Etsy to, to hack on something mobile web related, because um, it was really underserved at the time when I got here. Do you guys still do this? Uh, we do hack weeks in general. Cool. Sometimes we have topic-specific hack weeks, yeah. Um, so what we did was we forced all of the developers uh, to see mobile web templates on their development environments for the whole week. Oh, wow. They could like kind of opt out of it if they figured out how, but yeah. um, our, we were just encouraging people, like, like see how this really what is really what are what is our mobile web experience really like? You know, and it wasn't great. So it, people really saw um, all the issues, all the user experience issues. So what we're talking about doing, uh, and the VP of engineering is really excited about this. So we'll see where this goes. Um, he's really excited to slow down the network at the office. Well, and in uh, Google Chrome, can't you do that now? I feel like you can choose network speeds. Sure, but if we were to just force people to con- like so that they can't opt out of it, gotcha. Yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah, you you make them eat the dog food, so to speak. Totally, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we've got some um, constraints here. We don't want to affect we don't want to affect support people or content people yeah. or other people other than the engineers. So, there's some hurdles. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to emulate. You know what our users are typically experiencing. Yeah, um, I have a question for you, and this yeah. is not related to Etsy or some of the work you've done. Growing up. Rather, let me rephrase it like this. It sounds like you have a very, very strong tie to the idea of commitment. Um, commitment in the work that you do. It sounds like commitment in a, in a particular cause. Um, you you know, you did a lot of work with the LGBT site, uh, so you're engaged, that kind of stuff. Um, and it sounds like you really, really stuck in with this performance stuff. Is that something that you grew up with or is it something you sort of learned over time and it was just a marriage between your interests and just sort of this, I don't want to say moral high ground, right? Because there is no moral high ground on <laughs> right. on web performance. But I'm just curious because you definitely seem like, Yeah, right? <laughs> well, it sounds like it seems like you're a very, very committed person. I think some people, when you know, speaking about performance, some people are like, just set a budget, whatever. And as soon as you get there, they're just like, all right, next thing. Uh, but mm-hmm. it sounds like you might be the type of person that you'd set a performance budget, meet it, and then be like, how can we also go lower? And that, it takes a particular <laughs> kind of person to do that. Yeah, I have never thought about it that way, but I think that that's totally accurate. Um, I, so if you think again about my household, um, both my parents modeled very humble leadership. Mm-hmm. They Both their jobs have to do with helping people. Um, my mother's, as the minister, is the obvious yeah. example, but my father also, as a middle school math teacher. Yeah, I um, would imagine that's a very selfless job. Yeah, I mean, yes. When he goes through, I could not even imagine. Same for my mother, though. You know, I can't, I can't imagine. Um, and so... Watching them um, with this very humble leadership style, uh, I think definitely influenced both my sister and I. And, um, you know, when it came, my parents are both very progressive when it came to the LGBT stuff and, and other other issues. They've always been about, um, you know, helping people and, mm-hmm. and 
doing the right thing is the wrong way to is the wrong way to put it, but it's more like doing what your gut thinks is yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I I think you're right. Like I, uh, there is no doubt that when I make a decision, I am sticking to it, <laughs> maybe to a fault. Yeah. And that's true. Like for my photography business, I probably ran that for longer than I than I really wanted to, but I was mm-hmm. committed to it. Um, but the same also goes for quitting things. So once I decide that I'm good with something. I'm good and I don't need to keep on doing it, you know, with the, with, so you're engaged with the photography website, with writing the book, even, um, I'm not the kind of person who is like a perfectionist. It's more like, no, I know that this is good enough. Yeah. Thanks everybody. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Have you, so those seem like two completely different ends. Um, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I try to do that. Like I've been committed to this podcast for now three seasons. What worries me is that I will be committed longer than I need to be. Yeah. So do you ever find that sometimes you've gone on a little longer yeah, than definitely. sort of what, you know, you need to? Yeah, I think um, the reason why I ended up um, looking for a job at Etsy, there was actually a number of reasons why Etsy was was the right place for me. I um, they, The things that they do for women in tech is just incredible. Uh, I knew I wanted a place that, to work for a place that was much more supportive of women in tech than historically I'd worked at. Mm-hmm. Um but then I had some enormous life changes. I got divorced. Um, I knew I had no more ties linking me to New England. Yeah. And it was time for me to, to move probably closer home. My parents are in Jersey. Oh, we're in Jersey. So uh, kind of all over. Right now they're in central Jersey. Okay. I was uh, born in Cape May. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like there was there were a number of things that were pushing me in the right direction to move to move back to the tri-state area. Uh, but I probably waited for that longer than I, than I needed to. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I could have probably made that move sooner. Same is true for... Uh, for t- giving talks. So I, last year I, I gave 14 presentations. Holy cow. That sounds like globally. a lot. That's it was like, a lot. it's yeah. like more than one a month. Yep. Uh, I had one week in June where I gave uh, a talk, a presentation at Google IO, oh, wow. uh, a keynote at Velocity to 2000 people and like also a 90 minute panel and also a 90 minute tutorial wow. on how to build a device lab. Um, and it was the kind of thing where I knew that I was good. I wasn't burned out at the end of the year. It wasn't like I, I needed to quit. It was just I knew that it was probably the right time for me to make a shift in 2015. Okay. So, yeah. So I feel like I never end up going too far over, like, mm-hmm. when I need to quit something. Um, it just ends up feeling like the right time. And I, I usually feel very settled in the decision to to either try something new or, or shift directions. What do you think? So in I'll use the conference, the, the talks as the example. But why do you think you said yes to all of them? I knew I, I felt that 2014 was my year to just go for it in yeah. that particular angle. You know, I wanted to really like do that and do that well and get really good at it mm-hmm. and just kind of nail it. I really just wanted to nail it. <laughs> and by the end of the year, I did. I wouldn't say in the middle of the year I was I was nailing it. I did a lot of things that I, I'd never done before. I mean, the keynote for thousand people was was something I'd never done before uh, in that size. I'd given a keynote before, but yeah. it was unlike anything else. Um, it was great to travel so much. It was great. I mean, I saw so many Barcelona and Nashville and so many places I'd never, never been to before. And also it was cool because my mom came with me to, to a few and that was really oh, great. She and I traveled to England together and then to Scotland yet for, for me to give a talk. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the year, I just felt like, okay, yeah, I can check this off the list. Um, I'm good. I, I mean, I'm going to keep on giving talks, but I think for 2015, I realized I can do different things. I can do this panel, for example, on Google Hangouts that doesn't require travel. Yeah. And panel's kind of my favorite thing because I can just talk and answer questions and it's like you're just hanging out with people, you know? Yeah. Um, I am doing uh, one conference in New York City, so I don't have to travel for it. Um, Coming up I did in a, a, this year? Yeah, I'm doing Generate Conference. Oh, I went last year. Nice. Yeah, I'm excited about it. That'll be fun. 
And uh, yeah, I'm doing a bunch of other weird things. I'm um, I'm speaking in a bunch of companies. Like I'm going to go hang out with some some folks at other companies and talk to them about performance. And uh, I just I just got back from San Francisco. Um, I was honored to be able to accept an award on behalf of Etsy, and I'd never done anything like that before. You know, attend an awards. Dinner, oh, that's cool. Give a thirty second speech. Yeah, it was totally unique. It was definitely something. It's 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 better this year than last year because I'm focused more on on trying new things. I have a question that is tangential to what we've been talking about. In our industry, and I'm saying our industry loosely as in web development, web design, there seems to be an emphasis on doing a lot. And it's it to me, sometimes it feels like if you're a designer, developer, and you have a full-time job, if you don't do it after your full-time job, you're mm-hmm. a cop-out. Yeah. Um, have you ever felt that? I am such a weirdo when it comes to this particular topic. I no, it's firmly, a, it's okay if you love it, I, and I think that no, I think that's I'm where it opposite. comes from. Yeah, no, I'm I am the antithesis. So I'm I'm a firm believer that no one should work more than forty hours of work of forty hours of work per week. I um, I mean that being said, I've had periods in my life when that's not been the case, yeah. especially when I was running a side business in addition to yeah. my regular business. Well, when you have to but, work more, you just have to. But if you don't have to, yeah. you should just right. go do other things. So as a manager, I think it's very important for me to, to model this. I'm not at the office for more than 35 hours of work uh, of, per week. Yeah. So I, I mean, I come in later than my teammates and I leave earlier than my teammates very, very intentionally. Um, I think it's important for me to not respond to emails over the weekend. I might check it. Yeah. I might read it. I might save drafts even if something's really itching to get out there, but um, I won't send it. So I think um, for me personally, it's been very important uh, to work very hard so that I can be really lazy later. My favorite thing in the world is to just like stay in my apartment and do nothing but play Tomb Raider. Like I could not. Do you still play Tomb Raider? I well, the, yeah, the one that came out last year. Oh, they just they play, came out with yeah. another one. Yeah, it was it's phenomenal. Oh, it's really good. I didn't know that. Uh, actually, actually, this weekend uh, is the first weekend my boyfriend's ever played Portal before, and so we've spent a lot of time <laughs> already this weekend <laughs> playing co-op Portal. You guys um, should get a game. So Johnny Hallman, he's been on the podcast before. Um, he introduced me and my girlfriend during like, uh, the football season, he'd invite people over and I don't know if you watch football, but there's usually a one o'clock game and a four o'clock game. And the one o'clock game usually ends around three, three thirty. So there's about a 30 minute lull. And in between those games, we play this thing called tower fall. Have you ever played it? Never. Oh my God. I'm, it's going in the show notes. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I'll, I'll appreciate it. I'll give you a link afterwards. So it's really fun. It's like an eight bit styled game. But the um, do you remember Sm- uh, Smash Brothers? Mm-hmm, totally. It's like a less intense version of Smash Brothers. <laughs> it's one of those things. My girlfriend does not play video games, um, but she likes playing it. Like it nice. to me, you can get like the serious gamer to play it, and even the lowest level person who just like casually by casually I mean like once or twice a year. Yeah, everyone loves it. If you guys like Portal and you guys yeah. want to play games together, Towerfall is a really fun one too. That is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so for, yeah, right. So for me, like I, I could spend all weekend just inside. So my, my, my MO, like my philosophy is to work incredibly hard and get so much done so I can be tremendously lazy yep. the rest of the time. Well, d- doesn't that fall in line with the premise of the lazy programmer, i.e., and, and I guess conceptually it does, the idea of the lazy programmer is that they program something once so they never have to touch it again, right? Totally, yeah. And it sounds like that's a, it's a similar vein, right? Obviously, you might not program something once, but you work hard up front. That way you don't have to work hard later. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that like the, um, this philosophy or variations of it have been true for me. So like, for instance, again, applying for that project, my first job at a college, 
I just didn't want to look anywhere else. <laughs> I knew but like, I wanted to have this one thing. So like I just did that one thing. And it was a good decision. It wasn't like it was being lazy necessarily. Mm-hmm. It was just very efficient with my time. <laughs> did you ever feel that you've second guessed that initial decision? So in that case, that first job, did you ever think like, oh, maybe I should have looked. Not, not that the job was bad, but that maybe there could have been a better opportunity. I am the kind of person, again, a weirdo that just doesn't second guess things. So I, That's for fair. instance, I, I, I got certified as an EMT. Um, what? And I, when was yeah, this? And I, uh, 2000 and I don't know, eight do you, or nine. Do you ever do hours? No, 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 no. So I, I, that was in Virginia. So when okay. I moved up here, my, my license didn't transfer. Um, my certification didn't transfer. So I, uh, yeah, so I, well, I did it for a number of reasons. My father was an EMT and I got to watch him work once at a scene just offhand. Um, we came up on a motorcycle accident and he was just phenomenal. He, he like, Walked up to the scene. There was nobody else. There were no first responders there. And he surveyed it and, like, pointed to a person, asked them to call 911, pointed to me and asked me to go grab a blanket from the car. Like, just the calmest, took care of everything very, yeah. very calmly. So I knew I wanted to adopt that skill. So I got certified. And I think that what helped me be um, what helped me be good at that was that I'm a very quick decision maker and I don't second guess those decisions. And that comes true in really all facets of my work. I really um, – I mean, I've been wrong about things. Don't get me wrong. I've been hella wrong about things. But in general, I don't actually second guess my decisions. Like I understand why I made the decision with the information I had. Well, it sounds like there's a level of confidence in in your actions, which, you know, I I, I find that sort of interesting because you've got, and I'm, I'm sort of projecting myself a little bit, but there's instances where you, how can I explain this? I only, this is going to be random. I only gamble when I know I'm going to win. Uh-huh. Right. I to- totally. I only play Monopoly when I feel like I'm going to win. Totally, yep. yeah. <laughs> um, and then the instances where I don't know I'm going to win, I'm usually a little bit skeptical or yeah. uncertain. But in, in our work, you don't – like, you don't know everything about SVG. Right. The only person who might is the person who wrote the spec. And even then, they probably don't know everything about SVG. Totally. Yeah, I find it interesting that you're willing to go in – with so much confidence, uh, clearly it's been sort of ingrained in you uh, through your parents and just your life events and stuff. How do you do it? I know that's yeah. a vague, open question, but you know, I work in an environment where I'm supposed to have all the answers, and I don't ever. Right. I have like one percent of the answers. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the point at which I stopped getting nervous giving presentations was the point in which I got really comfortable saying I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and so, so okay, so my interview for Etsy went like this. It was like 10 hours. and Wait, like uh, one interview? or like oh, one, oh. Yeah, one long day of interviews. Oh, wow. Um, with various engineers, engineering yeah. managers, and the CTO. And um, it, was, it was a brutal, it was very intense. And it was a lot of programming. And I'm not, I, don't, I don't think of myself as a, as a programmer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a lot of things I didn't know because they wanted to find my edges. They, they knew what I was good at yeah. already. But the, the point of the interview was to figure out what I wasn't good at. And in that interview, I was extremely comfortable saying I didn't know when I didn't know. I would still try things. I yeah. wouldn't, you know, I don't shut down when I don't know something. Um, in, in a talk setting, I will say, like, go talk to this person afterwards or go look at, or go Google this thing because I know that this thing has the answers. Yeah. Um, but I don't personally. Um, so once I got comfortable with that, I think that that's why I got hired because even though I didn't know all the things, I was co- really comfortable not knowing. Yeah. And I was able to say that and able to still still try to problem solve or still try to hack at it or still, you know, whatever, for whatever reason. Um, 
be okay with it. So I think that for me, I definitely am really comfortable not knowing things. Again, like being a manager means that you don't know anything anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I'm not hands-on with anything anymore. All this data app stuff that my team is doing, I've got zero hands in it. I'll make tons of dashboards for them. I will, you know, make sure that they are have healthy and happy careers. That's my job. But like I am not doing any Android or iOS development. So yeah. I have to be really comfortable knowing where my strengths are. Um, and that makes it totally okay for me to not know the rest of it. That's interesting. You know, I think it, 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 it I don't know, the, the idea of not knowing, you know, every developer comes into it, you get the, um, the imposter syndrome, all those kind of things. Um, but the reality is, is that our world, and really the world in general, is too large. There's no yeah. way for anyone to know everything. But, you know, it's it sort of met with this paradigm or idea that you're being hired as an expert, so you should. Um, and I think what often happens is, and, and you, you've talked about this, is the fact that you don't know is not the problem. What could be problematic is that you're not resourceful or you do not have, and this is something I've realized with myself, um, the curiosity to figure yeah. it out. And something that I've, I've you know, um, me personally, and I don't know if you've ever dealt with this, but I, I used to work in advertising before I was a developer and I was never very curious because what ends up happening is you're on a talk with Twitter or some vendor and you're like, hey, why don't you send me a deck? And that's it. And they give you the deck. It has all your answers. You don't need to go find anything. <laughs> um, and when I first got into when I went whole hog, I actually got laid off from that advertising job. And I realized I hated every day I was there. And it wasn't the company or the people. It was just I didn't like what I was doing. I realized after that that when I would do development stuff, I was e- easily defeated. And this is great at the beginning of my career. Keep in mind, my career has, I'm not 10 years in, I'm only a couple years in. I realize that curiosity, just like most things, is a, is a skill. Um, and yeah. it's a skill that you need to sharpen. You need, first, you need to identify, you need to get it to a foundation, and then you need to sharpen that skill over time. Have, do you feel like in those moments that you've said, I don't know, that maybe you've gotten better at saying, I don't know, or how totally. to quote unquote deflect uh, from, an actual solution or answer into like more of a, an arena, like, Oh, I'm not sure, but you can go to CSS tricks or you can check MDN or you can go speak to such and such like Cap Watkins because he wrote it and that kind of stuff. Or who in this audience knows the answer to that question? Go find that (laughs) one afterwards. Yeah. You know? Um, So I'm going to say that every time I said, I don't know, I got more comfortable with it and less scared of it. Yeah. And it got to a point where I was just like, I don't know anything. And isn't that great and fun? Um, Why were you Sorry. Why were you afraid? Or scared. Afraid is a different, it's a different verb. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, so I think that being afraid um, of saying, I don't know, is like admitting, it's like admitting something about yourself you don't want to admit, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like, oh, I don't know this. Sh- shouldn't I, shouldn't yeah. I know this? Or that like you're wrong because you don't know, like right. The, right. I, maybe, maybe the impression that you should know and you don't. So somehow yeah. you're less of whatever you are. I don't know. Yeah, like or like, what didn't I do to prepare for this? Right, you know, it's, yeah. it's like you start thinking about the ways you should you could have fixed this before you even got here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was scared of that feeling because I'm a very uh, my response to most everything is like, okay, what can I do to help? Yeah, and um, in the, in those moments, like you can't help really, or, <laughs> yeah. or, but in reals you can but by like by saying, I'm gonna send out a tweet after this about that thing once I realize the answer, yeah. or, you know, or whatever it is, um, you know, point to someone in the audience or or following up with that person afterwards. Um, but the, so this actually brings up an interesting point when I, 
when I hire now, mm-hmm. I give a very specific interview. So the pro tip to anybody who interviews with me in the future for a front-end developer position, um, every time I will hand them uh, an image, right, from Geometry Daily, which is a Tumblr of a bunch of gorgeous geometric images. And I hand them an editor of their choice and a browser window and say, please make this in CSS for me. Please recreate this in CSS. Oh, and wow. I'll say, I know you don't know how to do this. No one on, on the planet should know how to do this <laughs> um, out of the box. But mm-hmm. like what I'm looking for is to see how you Google things. And I'm looking to see like where you start and what you try. And like it's going to be all trial and error. And I'm just going to watch. And I might like ask questions. And it is the most fun thing to watch someone like stare at it for a second and be like, how on earth am I going to make these bow ties? <laughs> Overlapping, rotated, transparent bow ties using CSS. Yeah. And then they start to Google it and they land on CSS tricks for triangles and then they start Googling up positioning. And then I got to, I get to see like how they're making their HTML hierarchy and how they're structuring their CSS. And I'm able to ask them questions about semantics and repurposability. And like I can get so much data from how they're problem solving as to whether or not I want to work with them or they should be on the team. Has anyone ever just been like, oh, I'll just make it an Illustrator, convert it to an SVG, I'm done? Never, no one has <laughs> ever done that. That would be amazing. I'd be like, sorry, we don't have Illustrator on this. Feel free to make some paths in your. Oh, God, that would be – well, you got to figure if someone can make paths like by Mm -hmm. hand, Mm -hmm. that's incredible. That would be insane. That would be insane. There was – did you see the – there was an article recently. It was on CSS Tricks. I forget the author's name. I'm going to look it up right now. Polly Lion? No. Oh, man. I'll I'll link it to you right now. Okay. Uh, What's this gentleman's name? Uh, Dennis Gable. I hope I'm not butchering his last name. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So this Polly Lion thing, it's like – it's geometric shapes. I forget the name – of this particular style of like design and art. Um, it's been around for a little bit, but he, oh, he yeah. is using SVG and then JavaScript jQuery on top of that to create like this smooth, like, and like fade in animation effect for each SVG path. That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. I'll link it in here. Um, uh, on a, as a tangent, I used to run a blog, a little Tumblr called CSS3 Geometry Daily, in which there's a ton of stuff similar to this. That's not SVG, but it is. Is that still around? I mean, it is. I, okay. I don't like curate stuff anymore. Yeah, but it yeah, still yeah. Exists. Cool. Yeah. I'll add that in the show notes too. That's really cool. You know, it's I've when I first got into the when I first started doing interviews, one of the things I've been afraid of the most is the idea of googling in front of the person who might hire me. <laughs> And it's, yeah. and it's not so much that they aren't doing it too, but right. to me, it's always like you go to any other. So I came from advertising, right? And when you do an interview in advertising uh, for like a strategy or a planning position, they're asking you questions about stuff you should have the answer to. Um, right. So they're not going to ask you what's the, what's the paper click rate for a Facebook ad because that changes every day. But what they're going to ask you is like, okay, here's a, here's a brand. They want to do a digital launch. How would you do it? Yeah. Um, and no answers is is always going to be the right answer. But what they want to know is that you're going to talk about frequency. You're going to talk about re- you're going to talk about things that that are industry standards. But when I got into web development stuff, I was scared shitless. <laughs> like, oh, I I'm not sure. Right. And the idea of going to Google, which I would do anyways, right? Yeah. It's something like, like, I don't know about you. I always forget the box shadow uh, syntax, like the or, <laughs> totally. the oh, order right. of things. So, right. and I know it's box shadow, CSS, dash tricks. I know exactly where to go. Um, but the fact that I don't know it makes me feel like I'm an idiot. Like, why would, like, oh, I can't, I should know this. Bah. 
do you, how do you sort of combat that? Well, maybe even, so I guess this is two prong. How have you combated that in yourself, maybe at work or in interviews? And then how have you combated that uh, while giving interviews or even within your team? I know it's very yeah. loaded. Um, I mean, it's, it's really the same, the same answer to both is like my MO is like, there are better things for my brain to retain Fair. than the syntax for box shadow. I th- I mean, I, I'm the same way. Like there's yeah. more shit I should know. Right. And I mean, I really wish that my brain didn't retain, you know, half of the names of the Kardashian siblings, but like it does. <laughs> so I've really got to be, I've got to optimize this anyway. I'm not going to store, you know, random uh, CSS knowledge because it's Googleable, you know, like all this stuff is Googleable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, for my team, um, you know, when they get frustrated that they don't know something, what I'll often ask them is like, how do you see somebody else doing this? Like, who else are, have you been working with? How are they doing this? Or how are they managing this? Um, because I find that the people who we respect most are the people who are able to 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 manage their own stuff really well. Mm-hmm. So whether it's like, how does this person um, keep track of all the stuff they have to do, or how does this person uh, run a good meeting? How, why do you enjoy being this person's meetings? Like whatever it is, I find that we often can look to other people um, that we admire and see how they're doing things. That's a really good way to think about it. I've one thing I've thought about too in regards to that is. Um, and every programmer knows this. I just haven't quite made it have it yet, but um, breaking things down. Mm-hmm. So I'll go back to the advertising analogy. In advertising, the small shit doesn't matter un- until you're actually doing it. What matters when you sell a project is that you are, or, or you sell business, is that this this huge Hollywood sign, high overarching, overarching thing, whatever this thing is, and the the limits you are going to break and the limits you will reach. Um, the complete opposite, I think, is true in, in, in our world, right? Like you can make – you can set a performance budget of, you know, you want to pay the load in, in 300 milliseconds. I'm making that up. Um, and that's fine. But like now you have to think about how you're going to do this in every way possible. Yeah. And that I've noticed it's – for me at least, especially when you think about – for me, the process of – how I manage my freelance work, how I manage my full-time work, how I manage the podcast. It's a bunch of small things. So season three is not season three. It is a culmination of 10 to 12 episodes, right? Wow, and each episode you. is, um, there's a few things that go on on that episode. It's inviting you. It's coordinating with you. It's prep before the show. It's during the show. It's after, you know what I mean? And as bad as it sounds, it's sort of like the idea of breaking up a lot of things. And then when you can master those things, then it does become a nice, neat, neatly tight, you know, wrapped little package that then you can manage. And I find that to be pretty interesting. And I'm sure, like I said, I'm, every developer does it. It's just sort of at what point that light bulb turns on for you. Yeah, totally. Cool. So we're getting towards the end. There okay. there are three slash two, because one of them is sort of the same, uh, that I always ask. Okay. Right. The first one slash two is, what would you tell your younger self? Everything you know now, if you could go back and be like, Laura, don't eat that burger. It made you sick. Don't do it. What What is the one thing you would tell yourself? Yeah, I think that the first thing I would tell myself is that um, middle school does n- not represent the way the rest of your life is going to go. <laughs> so I need to I need to ask why you say that. <laughs> I mean, middle school's hard, right? Like it's yeah. it's a tough time, and I was a huge nerd. I mean, I was. Um, I was top of my class. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem was that they, I knew it. Everybody else knew it. If for some reason, they felt it was important to to publicize either test scores or, or stature in, in various uh, grades. Um, 
and I was a huge nerd for that for that reason. Um, also, I mean, totally like into Girl Scouts and not into cheerleading, like, okay. all the typical middle school stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I had a really, really rough uh, time sixth through eighth grade, and I feel like I learned a lot about um, what my mother used to call parsonage pretty face. So, being in a minister's family, we really live in a parsonage, right? Mm-hmm. And um, which is the church that is either connected to or, or in some way. Uh, okay, I didn't know. I had no church. clue what that yeah. was. Yeah. Um, so the parsonage. So uh, when you're in a parsonage, or when, when you're the parsonage family, um, people might say things to you that really rub you the wrong way, mm-hmm. or are offensive in some fashion, or whatever. You know, something that's awful. Yeah. Um, and so what you can do is you can put on this face that's like a pretty face, right? Like, a, like a, like a. This is just bouncing off of me, and I'm going to give you no reaction. Yeah. And I really fine tuned that parsonage pretty face through middle school. You know, I really had to like just get through it, um, and that has helped me so much in my career. <laughs> You know, I mean, we all need to put on that face. It's yeah. like a poker face, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but one that, like, doesn't give away um, how horrified I am for whatever reason. That's uh, So, yeah. So, anyway, middle school isn't everything. And it, it really – it shaped me in many ways. I was able to, to completely change as a human um, in between eighth and ninth grades mm-hmm. and just kind of, like, become a cool kid. I was able to move. I mean, all these things uh, were awesome in my life uh, that changed. But, yeah, I would love to just assure my younger self that that's not I, – I promise it's not going to be this bad forever. You know, it's it, – <sighs> I feel you. I think, and it's sort of fair uh, to say for me, at least that like oftentimes life lives out like a scene from like a day in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just sort of like we create it. Like I think middle school is where you, you sort of become comfortable in yourself, or at least you try to, uh, for some people that happens, some doesn't, that's okay. Um, you set sort of the basis of your personality. And I feel like high school and college is sort of how your personality interacts with others. And it's, it's, it's crazy, right? Like I've got, I have friends that I've known my entire life and the shit that I did in middle school, I still do. And they're the, they're the ones who be like, yo, dude, why are you still doing that? Like you used to do that shit in middle school. And you're like, oh my God, I can't believe like this is, I haven't changed. Um, you're just a bigger, older version of a kid. Um, right, totally. It's interesting. Okay. So then the other question, which is very similar to this one, what would you tell someone Who's starting out? Oh, that's really good. Um, I would tell them to always take the high road. So in my career, I've had a number of, um, you know, really awful moments. Everybody does. Uh, People are mean and people can be misogynistic. People can be sexist. People can be racist. People can be all sorts of things. Stick to your guns, right? Like never bend when those things happen. Mm -hmm. But, um, the more you can take the high road, the more it's going to pay off. You're going to show other people how to handle those things well. You're going to you're going to model for people um, how to be a better person. Yeah. And uh, and for me, that's ha- that's it's helped me immensely in my career to continue to take the high road rather than you know take cheap shots um, or or you know it's I feel like when you get angry at something when you see somebody wronged it's it's really easy to get down on that level and wrong somebody else. Yeah. And uh, that's not great for someone's career. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's I I struggle with that myself. Not in the career sense, but like I, I made a joke yesterday at work. Um, my buddy Joe, his uh, his pipes froze, and then when they thawed out, because I, I and I didn't know this, but when pipes freeze, they break because the ice expands them. And then when they thaw out, you basically can have crazy amounts of just like flooding. And his bathtub, he was literally, he was like, "It's a comedy of errors." He's like, "I've got a a, a water pitcher that I am trying to scoop this out of the tub." And the plumber came, he left a hole in the wall, uh, like overnight. And 
you got to figure these are hundred year old buildings. They're not sealed properly or they're, you know, some type. You could have like rodents or anything. Just crawl up in that hole. And the plumber did it, not as landlord, but as a joke, I was like, Joe, you should go to the pet store. I was like, buy like 10 ferrets. Oh, I was no. like, put them in the bathroom. I was like, can tell your landlord it's emergency. And they'd be like, hey, man, the plumber you got, he didn't seal up the hole. Now there's a bunch of these animals. You got to get them. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I would never do that. Right. Um, but that's not an example of taking the high road at all. No, no, I would agree. That's not an example of yeah. taking the high road. I will say, though, that was at the expense of a joke. I would never really do that. No, of course, of course, of course. Um, all right. The last question is the secret fun time question. We ask this okay. for every episode. It is not related to anything at all. Now I got to think of one. <laughs> all right. Well, before this, we talked about you have a list. I think this is incredibly respectable. You have a list of people's fra- favorite like pastries, desserts, just like their favorite food. Yeah. One food you could eat for the rest of your life. And you can only eat this one food. And obviously it can be like, it can be lasagna. It can be a salad, right? Like it doesn't have to be just steak or one food item, but what's one thing sure. you'd eat for the rest of your life? So I feel like everybody is going to expect me to say donuts um, yep. you, because I have this thing about donuts and I use them to celebrate achievements, but they're special, right? They're, they're, you should only celebrate achievements with donuts. Yeah. Wait, do you um, celebrate with donuts? Have you ever had a cronut? I have had a cronut. They're okay. Yeah. I prefer, you know, on 7th Avenue and 9th Street, the uh, diners, the diner and donuts place? Yeah, 7th Ave Diner. Yeah. It's my favorite donut place. Anyway, so like, I feel like everybody's expecting me to say that, so I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say PB&Js. You know what's amazing? What? Those are my initials. Nice. <laughs> amazing. I actually, so growing up, this was like a middle school thing. I would never tell people my middle name because they'd be like, ah, PB&J. Oh. Um, but then once I got older and realized it was more of a unique identifier – um and something i could leverage like once i bought i bought the domain pbj.me i was like money i'm selling it i would not i didn't sell it but like i'm selling this whole premise of pbj yeah um i love them too they're delicious actually they're so good they're so good um so where can people find you uh if they wanted to reach out to you any of that kind of stuff yeah i'm on twitter uh that's the best place lara l-a-r-a underscore hogan h-o-g-a-n okay that's me um cool are you doing this is probably gonna release in like april um ish are you doing any talks after around april yeah april 17th i'll be at generate oh sweet yeah i'll put a link to generate conf in there um awesome well laura thank you for joining us absolutely it's been really really fun yeah same and oh the one thing i forgot to tell everybody and i'm telling this during the recording i'm gonna bring laura some cookies you all should have cookies too it's called (laughs) they're called spilt milk cookies i when i send out the email for this i will have a splash page up with an email sign up because I haven't done that yet so everyone can learn about cookies. I do beta tastings. They're delicious. But, Laura, thank you. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Absolutely, yeah. Have a good one. You too, bye.